Hi everyone, welcome to Freshwater Perspectives. Today we'll be talking about the illegal caviar trade and sturgeon conservation. Thanks for listening. Matt, how are you? Hey Riley, I'm doing all right. It's been a busy couple weeks for the listener. It's been we took about a week or two off uh, before we we recorded this one. So I know. Yeah, I just missed it... Matt's face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rachel's Rachel's down in South Alabama, about three and a half hours away, on a uh, vet rotation for it's equine rotation. So she's focusing on large animals and rotating around just i don't know doing different types of uh kind of house calls at different farms checking out horses and and farm animals really? so yeah doing house call- oh man my uh mm-hmm. my wife and i we started the, that show yellowstone oh yeah and um they always have to call the vet so that's rachel huh like yeah that's, a little trailer yep. that's right pretty much Jeez. yeah yeah In that show they have the vet like suture up all the people when they get hurt you know they don't call like a <laughs> So maybe that's what Rachel's doing too. I mean, she probably could if I, <laughs> for some reason, I like gashed myself and didn't feel like I wanted to go to the ER. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's but crazy. beyond that, um, I've just been just been hanging out. I got a conference I'm going to up in New York and next week actually. So I've just in been prepping for that. Yeah, New York. Oh, yeah. the oh, I remember that yeah, one's yeah, finally yeah. going down now, huh? Mm-hmm. Yep. Wow. Yeah, flying solo to this one. No one else is going. So. Got to yeah. meet a lot of people. Looking forward to it. You're going solo. Wow, mm-hmm. really? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So in um, grad school, everyone, um, yeah, I mean, I guess it goes by lab by lab. Some people go to a lot of conferences. Other people don't mm-hmm. go to many. But um, it's still fun to go to, like, one by your, yourself and you don't necessarily know everyone. Because, I mean, if you know everyone or if you know people, then you kind of, like, click up. It's like high school, right? Yeah, and, like, uh, that's but, uh, very true. So that's, that is interesting. Yeah, you're going to be... You're gonna be mean people, yeah. Potential I'm, job people. Ooh. That's I, that's why I really want to like kind of push myself. I'm definitely guilty of just hanging around people if I know them well. Mm-hmm. So if our lab, if our whole life went, I would have just hung out with them the entire week. So yeah. yeah, hopefully I can, you know, pressure myself to try to meet people and potential potential employers in the next couple of years. So yeah, we'll see. Ooh, fun, fun yeah. stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. What about you? What you been up to, man? <laughs> um, you know, it's. It's been snowing here. It snowed the last two days. Nothing's stuck, but uh, yeah, the seasons are going crazy this far up north. Um, yeah. Um, I didn't have too much to talk about, but I was gonna bring up a story that I found and did Ooh. write an article. So our stuff is on articles that we we talk about in in the podcast. It's on fishwatertravel.com. Um, you can find it there. One of them, though, a recent news article that I thought was pretty fascinating was so the Mississippi River. Have you heard about anything about the Mississippi River lately? If it doesn't have anything to do with Asian carp, then no. His, it's at historic lows or near oh. historic lows. Oh, yeah. no. Like so low that – so I just – I wrote the article, and it was at like 2,000 barges. Those like grain barges, those holes. Mm-hmm. They are they're, – they're either stuck on their way like in – like on the route up the Mississippi River, or they're like in the Gulf waiting to go up because wow. the water is so low. So they're yeah. just bottoming out in like the main channel. Yes. Wow. So it's um 
pretty phenomenal, and it's it's due to drought in the heartland. So mm -hmm. the the Mississippi, Mississippi River Basin, the entirety of it, covers forty one percent of the United States landmass, mm -hmm. and there are some pretty um, crazy droughts, like in. Um, I have a map in front of me because I knew I was going to feel like Kansas, like Oklahoma region. Mm -hmm. um, Midwest up here, I'm not in the Mississippi River Basin. I'm, I'm farther up, but uh, like a little bit of Iowa, Minnesota also has some not not so severe droughts, but mm -hmm. but pretty substantial. So yeah. Um, yeah, it hasn't rained apparently from the one article I was reading in, in a lot of these places like since the beginning of September. Wow. Yeah. So, and that can... Um, I can only imagine that gets worse because, you know, without it raining and have all this agriculture, you're just going to get more irrigation onto those crops. So that's even less water getting to the river. Less water. And it's like a lot of parts of the Mississippi. So so the top half of the Mississippi is it's really, um, there's there's lock and dam systems. But mm -hmm. um, on the, the bottom, there, there still is dams, right? Lock and dam mm -hmm. systems. But yeah, they're, they're, yeah. apparently it's less frequent. So that area is sometimes pro prone to flooding. But on okay. the flip side of that, if if um, there's no rain, right, then you you mm -hmm. have an area prone to um, a lot of drought. So oh. yeah, but also like this is a really big deal for for shipping. So like barges going up and down, that that's big, right, too. But it like the landmass that this drought is in, this Mississippi River Basin, that's like one of the quotes I got was where ninety two percent of all U.S. agricultural exports are grown. So like corn and soybeans, right? big Ooh. exports yeah and so like nearly 60 percent of u.s soybeans and corn they move and be exported down the mississippi and out to different countries mm -hmm. right so if you don't have that transport you would either have to go by railway or by truckloads and so one barge hold hull mm -hmm. um that that can move 16 rail cars full of grain so you need 16 or 50 to 60 truckloads. So like just by one like barge haul. So yeah. it's, yeah, they're like, it's, you can, you can move up and down in some places they were, they were saying in, in some mm -hmm. of the articles, but you would have to bring or haul less grain, for example. Mm -hmm. So it just makes it super less economically viable. Yeah. Wow. But like, yeah, um, the, the logistics crazy. really fall apart. That's, that's insane. I know. And like, um, wow. So there is, well, also one more thing too. So that like the um, movement of, of stuff, shipping is a big deal, mm -hmm. but then drinking water. So like Ooh, the Delta yeah. where the saltwater and freshwater meet in the Mississippi mm -hmm. has gone up river 57 miles. Wow. Isn't that crazy? So like where yeah, that, that's, wow. Yeah. That's saltwater intrusion to the extreme. Yeah. And like a lot of these places are worried about, um, not salt water in their drinking water, salt in their drinking water, but more so like corrosion of pipes. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Absolutely. So, like, apparently they're like trying to put like barriers around these piping areas, apparently. But, um, mm. to help with shipping, though, the Army Corps, so like the, the main channel of the Mississippi, like, is dredged, right? Mm hmm. Um, to like, I think it's either eight or nine feet when I was by, lived in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. That like that's what they have to put it down, but like so they're going out to certain strategic areas and they're they're digging even farther down to like wow. hopefully allow shipping because they. It, ah, I mean, this will be dated at some point, but as of right now, I think like there's still the drought is ongoing. 
like wow. so they're they're kind of like planning to like try to mitigate this for for some time to wow. come and i could be mistaken but so if the saltwater intrusion is getting up 57 miles up the mississippi mm-hmm. so the water table is low enough and if i'm not mistaken so if i remember from my very little hydrology background um a lot of streams they can get extra inflow from groundwater depending on where the groundwater table is so it's like an influent stream or an effluent stream at that point so if it's receiving mm-hmm. water from groundwater then it's an influent stream and the opposite if it's an effluent stream so you could get saltwater intrusion into the groundwater simply mm-hmm. because the water table is so low that the oh, yeah. ground at uh, the the saltwater is kind of seeping out into the riverbank and into that um For into sure. your groundwater crazy yeah yeah that's wild yeah, so that was my in lieu of a, a banter. <laughs> that was my little uh, snippet of uh, something something crazy. Yeah, it's not just out west, even though out west is crazy. I also read another article out west since I just brought that up. Um, the drought is like as is, they hasn't seen a drought like this since like the ninth century. I read, wow. like it's crazy. So um, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. But okay. Any anything else before we go into it? I don't think so. I mean, I, right. yeah, let's do it. Let's get into it. All right. Welcome back to Freshwater Perspectives. So for any new listeners here today, the way that we like to run the podcast here is uh, myself, one of your co-hosts, Matt Gladfelter, and our other co-host, Riley Buley. We like to switch off back and forth here every other week. And today, Riley is in charge. So what do you got for us today, Riley? Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to be talking about the illegal caviar trade. So it's going to involve caviar, sturgeon eggs, as, as well as the sturgeon conservation around it. Uh, I'm going to do a little intro. Might be a little scripty, but that's just the way it's going to be. Um, so let, let's set the tone here. Um, okay. So in April 2022, so mm-hmm. April of this year, California police officers discovered a seven foot still living sturgeon in the back of a suspect's gray hatchback during a routine traffic stop. What? Okay. So this helped put an end to an illegal sturgeon poaching ring that investigators found that they had 36 sturgeon taken from the Sacramento River Valley. Okay. Wow. An entire ring. Entire ring. Yep. 36 sturgeon. Um, This isn't the only one. We'll talk about a number of them. And um, so when I wrote this article, um, California people authorities i'm just not sure who um they have yet to like um sentence anybody but Mm -hmm. um it's this ring it's expected that they're going to receive some some harsh sentences but Mm -hmm. um yeah um so we'll be talking about today why why are people going into such great lengths to to really catch and um get these prehistoric um fish they're like armored fish. They're really cool. We'll talk about it. And yeah. the answer is not, they're not going for the fish necessarily, but what's inside the fish and it's their eggs. So um, eggs of sturgeon, they can be turned into caviar. And for those of you who don't know, um, caviar can go for very high prices. Um, and this is something that is also sold on the black market. So we're going to talk about both the history of the legal and illegal caviar trade and why uh, individuals risk it all to get this lucrative fish. Let's yeah. do it. I'm excited. Let's do it. I'm excited. So, okay, that that's <clears throat> the intro of the, the the article. Let's take a step back. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what what are sturgeon? For those of you who don't know what sturgeon are, they are 
um, really dinosaur looking fish. So a lot of people call them living fossils. They are armored. They have um, scales armoring. There might be an actual name of the scales. I believe it's osteoderms. Osteoderms, right? So um, yeah, so like literal armoring. If you pick them up, they're they're almost like prickly, and um, yeah, there's there's bony bony like surfaces on the side of them. They're really cool, mm -hmm. and um, so. One of the oldest fish families known, uh, sturgeon grow up to 10 to even 20 feet in length and live um, over 100 years. That, so that's that's some extremes, but it, it is documented, right? Mm -hmm. um, they're, they're bottom feeders. They got their mouth on the bottom. They, you know, they're, they're searching for, for things like you know, shellfish or other um, things that reach the bottom, bottom fish. And uh, 27 species of sturgeon are found globally, and many are threatened even to the point of extinction due to overfishing and sturgeon are also really prone to pollution and also what we'll be talking about today the illegal and legal caviar trade so um any thoughts any thoughts uh i mean i've definitely heard a lot about you know caviar and how desirable it is and mm -hmm. i'm sure there's whenever there's something expensive there's always going to be an illegal market for it right yeah um, i'm still kind of hung up a little bit on a giant sturgeon in the back of somebody's hatchback yeah and um <laughs> the the article that i have will have photos of this and oh, it's um yeah it, i mean it's like it's like wrapped around this little little uh i think it was like a ford hatchback right like oh, yeah yeah and uh, I, I want to say, if I remember correctly, the fish was returned, revived and returned. Oh, good. So, um, but so overfishing of sturgeon, it's, it's really a serious issue for, for sturgeon conservation. Um, this is for a few different reasons. So like in general, when we talk about overfishing, that, that reduces the amount of animals in an area, right? Mm -hmm. um, super important though, in the case of sturgeon is that it reduces the amount of sexually mature egg bearing females. So when we talk about the caviar trade, that's what um, people are going after. I don't want to say all caviar is illegal because it isn't. There's a caviar trade that's legal and, and um, followed strictly. So let's just say that too. Um, but when fishermen go after, um, yeah, when they go after caviar, they're going to take out those, those females. And this is really a big issue because of sturgeon, they're long-lived fish. And when we see talk about long-lived fish, Usually that pairs with their sexual maturity. Um, that will be extended as well. So for depending on the species that we're looking at, sturgeon can take six to 25 years to reach sexual maturity. Wow. Um, so if you do some pretty bad overfishing, that can that means it's not like the, the, the fishery is going to come back in a, a year. It might mm -hmm. take six to 25 years, right? Mm -hmm. um, so pretty... It, it, it can quickly become an, like unsustainable fishing practices. So it's something mm -hmm. that needs to be monitored um, for, for a while and then really, really monitored. Yeah. Um, and yeah. then if I could cut in real quick, Go for um, it. this is obviously a huge issue whenever you talk to like a population, uh, like person who's been on like population ecology, just because they always talk about how the females are the more valuable members of the population, just because the, you know, the way that, um, genetics works um, you're better off having a f less males to more females than the inverse because mm -hmm. you just get way more inbreeding and you're you know you can only produce as many offspring as females you have right yeah so that's that's where you can really get this population collapse crazy 
So th those are that's a little introduction on sturgeon. Uh, you know, if if you really don't know sturgeon, and, and you might not, um, Google it. Right, you'll you'll see a whole laundry list of species that um, they're they're super cool. Like really, um, I know like white sturgeon can get really big in like the. Mm -hmm. Washington area. Yeah. But, um, I think Alaska around. Yeah. I think yeah. we have some in Alaska as well. And then we yeah. have, I know we have one or maybe two here in Alabama. I don't know if the Alabama sturgeon is a thing, but we have the Gulf sturgeon. I know that. Mm -hmm. but. Yeah. Okay. So that's sturgeon. Now a little, little intro on or caviar. Um, so caviar is, those are unfertilized sturgeon eggs mm -hmm. that are salted or preserved in some way. And, you know, we talk about caviar and like grabbing caviar, you know, you get a, a female sturgeon that has a bunch of eggs and that can be removed in many different ways. So, you know, you can kill a sturgeon, cut it open, boom. Um, but there's also some more methods that might not be so finite as well. So like mm -hmm. uh, a lot of individuals have been practicing uh, C-sections, cesarean sections to get oh. the eggs out. And then, um, suturing the sturgeon back and hmm. there you go and i believe they um can reproduce that way or like multiple hmm. more quote-unquote sustainable depending on how you want to look at it um yeah. ways uh, another way is it's called stripping and eggs are pushed out of a uh, cut in the urogenital muscle and you kind of forcefully take the eggs out of a um the stomach of a sturgeon so mm -hmm. yeah and then once once uh, eggs are taken out, they're they're washed, right, to remove impurities, and then you salt based on traditional recipes. Place them in tins, and bada bing, bada boom. <laughs> so caviar, the a lot of different species, like we talked about, some really prized caviar species are Russian beluga and stellate, S T E L L A T E, stellate sturgeon. I believe that's what it's called. Okay. Um, and those are those are common. Um, species type is, you know, that, like I said, really, really contributes to what, um, caviar sells for and age. So old mature sturgeon, if you could like track that, um, and, and market that, that, that can play into how much, um, caviar is going to cost you. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that was caviar. Now let's go to a little bit, talk about the history of the caviar trade. Okay. Yeah. So, um, caviar, not, not a, not a recent invention. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this can be dated back to 24,000 BC. Oh, before Christ, I didn't it was that far before, back. Before common era, whatever you want to talk about. Yeah. yeah. So wow. there's been evidence that Egyptians, um, they had caviar with, um, you know, sturgeon eggs, I believe sturgeon eggs. They also had another fish i think they preserved their eggs as well um mm. with salt and vinegar right and then this is through a lot of different cultures and i think for sure a popular culture and i think as many see it now um one of the cultures that that went even from like the middle ages is russia so russian um has for sure their their culture and that that history a rich history with with caviar since the mm -hmm. middle ages so pretty cool yeah and you know throughout the the decades centuries i guess centuries we're talking about um you know this is something that really like all social classes could afford back in the day we're just called oh. back in the day right yeah um so russia is adjoined by the caspian sea okay that's mm -hmm. where beluga sturgeon are found um other countries by the caspian sea um 
Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, yes. Iran, yes. Turkey, and Russia. Thank you, Matt. Um, a lot, lot around this this Caspian Sea, and this is you know for sure beluga sturgeon, one of the most, if not prized, caviar species is found. Um, you know, again, social classes, everybody you know could partake, something that um, could be enjoyed. Um, this was kind of like around the area people were consuming caviar, not necessarily known throughout the world until a Greek sea captain, Ionis Babarkis, in nine in 1780s, uh, was thought to be one of the great promoters of caviar hmm. and was um, noted as bringing this notion of caviar to um, the wealthy upper class Europe, so wealthy hmm. Europeans, and successful marketing gave caviar, or had begun to give this, it removed it from a social class to this more luxury um, status to an eager Martin market. So yeah, that makes total sense to me. Yes. I feel like you can think of a million different examples where you have something that's kind of just plain Jane in one country. Mm -hmm. They bring it over to a, a Western country and they're like, look how exotic this is. Like only yep. the wealthy can afford this. Yeah, it makes yep. total sense like, to like me. Spaghetti. Um... <laughs> I think chocolate is a good example too. <laughs> yeah. Deviled eggs. <laughs> we'll be cutting this out. Um, no, but yeah, you're definitely right. And okay, so fast forward to the First World War. Okay, when okay. when the Soviets... Um, to cold of Russia, it was thought that up to ninety percent of the world's caviar production was was ran by the the Soviets. So mm. um, after that, the change to communist rule of Russia, um, you know, the, ca the caviar trade was privatized, and this is where, through my readings, you know, overfishing was thought to have been heightened. However, um, this was acknowledged and and um, a reform, an environmental type reform, or like a license type. Um, management style was implemented to hmm. to reduce this over. So it was acknowledged that overfishing was happening. Um, that hopefully people bear in mind that like fisheries management, it's still adapting, and it it really hasn't been like modern fisheries management hasn't been around for too long. Mm -mm. So um, it is interesting that like it was acknowledged and like uh this this reform was put onto it. Um, Russia as well as other countries around the Caspian Sea kind of implemented these strong measures to um, manage and prevent overfishing. Uh, you know, however, you know, the decline of sturgeon, you know, was continual and was happening as well in this time. Uh, the worldwide production of caviar, um, it, it's substantial, even though like, despite this decline of uh, sturgeon populations. Mm -hmm. And in 1998, the International Trade Union, trade, area this report um, came out that the legal caviar was estimated to be shipping around 220 tons it's declined wow. somewhat since so that was like the peak a little bit of decline in caviar but i'm um, still 220 tons of caviar annually that's just that's, the caviar uh, not not including the rest of the fish that's insane just the caviar yep wow um but this decline in caviar production and st there's still high demand, you know, basic economics, you have, you know, caviar prices that can go, um, depending on what species, to um, thousands of dollars per, per pound, kilogram, whatever you want to call it. Um, mm -hmm. But so um, crazy amount. And 
with this lucrative prices for sure has spurred the spread of the illegal caviar trade. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to get into that. We're not going to get into it right now. We still got a little bit more. So, um, government oversight of caviar. So the convention of international trade in endangered species cities Mm -hmm. in 1998, um, there was a 181 international governments kind of said signed into not necessarily law but made this agreements that like hey we're going to start monitoring sturgeon the caviar because of um, risks of being pushed to extinction so mm-hmm. cities cds um you know really definitely manages or monitors those extinct type of critically endangered species and uh so sturgeon's on their list for sure and um definitely this this oversight is it's increasing you know since like the the 1990s for sure um, which is great and you know to help with um this oversight and really a a big issue with um sturgeon is like mislabeling and counterfeiting oh um yeah so like think Hmm. if you have like a less desirable species um who's to say you know there's some of the eggs look quite similar um, you know, who's to say this isn't coming from like a beluga. So mm. this yeah. mislabeling has been huge, but to combat that in this time of this, when this government oversight's ramping up, um, is genetic testing. Okay. Oh yeah. That's, yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess that's the easiest answer, but maybe not the most simplest, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And in one study, um, in this kind of earlier 2000s, the 1990s, uh, they took 27 caviar tins in this study mm-hmm. and found that 10 of them, um, only 10, matched this species that it was labeled as. Wow. Um, the other had mislabels. Um, wow. In another study that I read, um, and that the, the references to all these studies is going to be on this article. So if you're interested, um, please please read it there. Don't want to get too bogged down for the listeners. Um, so this other study looked at New York specialty stores, like caviar stores. Oh, okay. Um, and with this kind of government, more government oversight, um, as well as this genetic testing, um, the amount of counterfeit tins, they did this, they compared it to the 1990s to like 2000s, kind of like did a repeat test type of thing. Mm-hmm. And the number of counterfeit tins have greatly reduced. So that's great. Oh, genetic yeah, great. testing's really helped with that. However, that was like looking at these specialty stores. Mm-hmm. Um, online purchases of caviar still had a high amount of mislabeling going yeah, on. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, because that, that's straight to consumer at that point. You know, there's no, to, yep. mm-hmm. yeah, there's no middleman kind of managing yep. that. That makes total sense. Yes. So um, definitely suggesting that the end of this article is suggesting that, you know, more online regulations needed. So not necessarily in stores that seems to be doing well, but mm-hmm. um, online, which I mean, yeah, you, you can make an account, a Shopify store. Um, you can post it. And, yep. You can send it. And there, there would, in some situations, I don't want to say all, um, there'd be a, a reduction in that, um, in that oversight. So that's crazy. Mm-hmm. So that is the more so the legal side, uh, legal history of a caviar let's get into the illegal side of the caviar trade and yeah definitely strict regulations like we've been talking about um an increase in caviar prices you know decrease in the amount of product that you have that that's kind of a, a perfect situation to spur on potentially illegal trade and um you know throughout the the caviar 
history definitely like a legal trade has has had its uh reared its head and um yeah so so caviar poaching well sturgeon poaching for caviar um is something that's big uh, we talked about it in california in the the beginning thing and we'll, we'll circle back to that article but um another example of where i don't want to say illegal caviar always comes from this area but it's the caspian sea so there's been some organized crime um affiliation with the, the caspian sea but again can happen anywhere with with its close proximity to western europe those kind of affluent european markets uh you know catching out of the caspian sea um turning that into caviar the, a number of routes to get to europe and you know include car plane train um in this one research article that i read again the citations online um five to um 40, five to 40 kilos of eggs per trip um, was what these poachers or smugglers could take, right? Wow. And uh, so from 2001 to 2010 alone, the European Union reported that they confiscated 1.4 tons of caviar from smugglers. Wow. So, yeah. That's 1. a lot. 1.4 tons. Mm -hmm. Wow. If you think of it selling by the tin, how many tins do you need to get, you know, 1.4 tons? Yeah. Because, I mean... Yeah. If I remember, I know Gordon Ramsay. On quick side note here, Gordon Ramsay's obsessed with caviar. He loves caviar. Really, and one of his shows, he went to like a caviar factory and he was talking all about it. And yeah, those tins can go anywhere from a couple hundred grams to yeah, like a kilo, depending on kind of who it's going to. But yeah, it's yeah. insane. Yeah, and again, we talked about the mm -hmm. um, the that California article, but like you know this. So you know. Poaching rings, like we talked about, um, might sound like a, a one-off, um, but it's it's it, they're still around. So another example um, story I read was from 1985 to 1990. There was a, a poaching ring that was discovered in the Pacific Northwest. Okay, mm -hmm. um, thought to have harvested 2,000 adult sturgeon. Wow. With 3,000 pounds of caviar. Okay. This caviar was sold from the Pacific Northwest to a company in New Jersey via FedEx. So <laughs> they would they would make the caviar, you know, get poach, make the caviar, ship the caviar over to New York. Um, the, <laughs> the New Jersey company would therefore then put money in boxes and send it to <laughs> random, like a variety of P.O. boxes yep. back in the Northwest. Yep. Um, <laughs> poachers were estimated from what they found. Um, authorities found that about two hundred and forty-seven thousand dollars was exchanged. Wow. Okay, that and they found. That they found, and this um, miss they 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 were finding that this pretty like substantial caviar tradesperson in in New Jersey um, was selling this. They were mislabeling it as beluga stirred caviar. Mm -hmm. And uh, selling it for over up to six hundred dollars a pound. Yeah, that's where I'm like, of that two hundred fifty thousand, that's all they found. Because if you have three thousand pounds of stir of caviar, it's definitely more than two hundred. I mean, maybe that's maybe that's about right, but I don't know. I feel like those can go for yeah so much money. So that's quick, insane. quick math would be three thousand pounds. Mm -hmm. Up to so say everything sold for six hundred dollars a pound. Mm -hmm. We'll just go high end. One point eight million is what that yeah. person yep. made. Yep. So that makes crazy. sense. 
that's the thing yeah. i also just like i like the mental image of whenever you go drop a package off at like usps and they ask you like check the box it's like oh is there anything illegal or hazardous in this box nope we're good <laughs> just hand you the box yeah. just gets rid of the liability and then <laughs> yeah yep, that's it oh you told us thank you it's insane yeah, yeah. so oh man <laughs> to conclude we'll, we'll talk a little bit about sturgeon conservation so um definitely there's there's organizations concerned about this right and mm -hmm. um kind of taking the head um so the international union for conservation of nature reports that sturgeon are they said more critically endangered than any other group or species like species group mm -hmm. um genera or whatever you want to call it um mm -hmm. and the 85 percent of sturgeon are at risk of extinction so mm. it's not just overfishing caviar trade but also pollution so mm -hmm. these these and um this group of species that's that's really prone to um pollution as well and so there there are organizations so world wildlife foundation okay they have mm -hmm. made really big commitments to um conserving sturgeon throughout the world okay there's four main steps that the world wildlife foundation wwf has noted to um protect sturgeon so number one uh stop the black market caviar trade yep um, engagement is another big one. So engage with fish communities, um, long-term conservation. So people that are actually doing the day-to-day. -day, uh, why why is this important? Why we're doing this is definitely something that the WWF has taken a, a step to do. Um, protecting vital sturgeon habitat and restoring it is huge. Mm -hmm. um, and then, so black market trade, stop that. Number four is just stopping illegal sturgeon fishing in general. Um, and then, you know, finding that balance between how can you effectively keep a sustainable pro product of caviar like in the market like where's that balance so for those of you listeners that are interested in in learning more and then also um wondering what you can do for for sturgeon trade um i'm gonna for sure forward you to wwf World Wildlife foundation and there's a link in this article and you can learn more and also um should you feel inclined donate to the, the sturgeon conservation yeah oh, look at and us. that is the vibrant <laughs> history of uh the caviar trade short abridged but um yeah okay in there yeah um yeah. i mean for the sturgeon if you want to pick like just the perfect storm of a terrible fish to use for such a high demand market it's the sturgeon it's a ter like incredibly yeah. long-lived species takes forever to sexually mature and it's very sensitive to the to environmental changes. Like that's mm -hmm. such a terrible fish to to overfish. Yeah. Um, if you think you're doing it, you know, if you if you were a manager of that area, you think you got a handle of it, and then yeah, when it takes up to 25 years for one female to reach maturity, mm -hmm. every illegally fished out fish that's like a just almost like exponentially reduces your population. So yeah, um, yeah. And and I'm going to ask maybe a dumb question, but maybe not. Is there any aquaculture for sturgeon? Because they are catadromous or anadromous. I know they move between freshwater and marine systems, depending on the species. Yeah. So I know there are a number of like aquaculturally ran like caviar. Like, so oh, there's okay. one, I think there's a really big one. I don't remember the name of it in Canada. Oh. And I think there's another big one in Florida. And I think okay. an individual before your time, Matt, um, 
at Auburn, I think mm -hmm. that individual either works there or now runs that facility. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. small world. I know. No, no. Hmm, but that's um, cool. yeah. All so right. Legal, maybe that wasn't a dumb cab. question. Cool. Yeah. No, that's so, good. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah, I would think. I mean, if you can combine aquaculture with that cesarean section, that is hopefully you know limits mortality. I mm -hmm. think maybe I'm probably decreases your yield a little bit. Same with the stripping, but it, you know. Yep. It, drastically decreases mortality um i think that yep. was that's probably a much more viable solution than of course the a wild fishery um, and if you like uh on youtube i looked at a few videos and it shows like them doing the c-section mm -hmm. and like they had like you know like the ultrasound thing to like see where mm -hmm. they're like how the eggs were doing and stuff mm -hmm. so it's um for sure some of those facilities are it's a good operation yeah yeah, that sounds like yeah, a great yeah. retirement retirement plan, huh? You just get a pond in your backyard, just throw a big sturgeon in the back. Oh, I thought about it. <laughs> I thought about that and freshwater pearls. I will do an article Ooh, about go. freshwater pearls. Yeah, there's only one, from what I saw, only one working operation in in the United States with freshwater pearls anymore. Yeah. Okay. Well, we talked about it in the in the muscle episode. Um, feel free to go go back and listen to that one. Uh, we talked about oh, yeah. that in the muscle episode, how that the whole freshwater pearl kind of community or economy collapsed because they were using them for buttons and then plastics came around. Yeah, I know. But I wonder what the demand yeah. is now, just for jewelry, I'm guessing, or? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. No. just it, It's purely for yeah jewelry. I don't think you can eat those bad boys. No, I definitely can't eat to. pearls. I just didn't know if there was any no, other No, no, no. Functional... I mean, like uh, the... the... <laughs> I, I mean, you can eat. I meant like you can eat oysters, but like oh, the actual freshwater pearl species, you can't eat a pearl. <laughs> um, okay. Yep. All right. Well, where can they find this article if they want to go read it? Yes. Really? Yeah. So, um, freshwater perspectives. What we talk about here? Um, we post our articles to fishwaterandtravel.com. It's our sister website how about that it's where we house the stuff but uh with each thing we talk about on this podcast we'll have an, an associated um, article so this article it's called the legal caviar trade and you can find it there and um we're also found on all the other social media all the important ones so um fishwaterandtravel.com that's where you can find um our freshwater perspectives backlog as well so yeah awesome. Nice okay, man. See you we'll later. See ya. Bye.